Good morning from the Financial Times. Today is Friday, April 17th, and this is your FT News Briefing. More than 22 million Americans have filed for unemployment insurance since the coronavirus shutdowns began. But despite Donald Trump's earlier promises to force a quick reopening of the U.S. economy, the president is softening his stance. Plus, why French President Emmanuel Macron thinks the pandemic will transform capitalism, and our Middle East editor, Andrew England, will walk us through the bargains Gulf sovereign wealth funds are hunting for as asset prices plunge. But first, U.S. stock futures were up almost 3% at the time of this recording. This was after a report suggested a coronavirus drug had shown positive results in clinical trials. The FT's Hannah Kushler will explain. I'm Mark Filipino, and here's the news you need to start your day. So on Thursday, there was a report from a well-respected trade publication for the pharmaceutical industry called Stat News that basically got hold of a leaked video, which was of a presentation at the University of Chicago, which is one of the hospitals participating in a trial for Gilead's remdesivir, which is the drug that everyone hopes may be able to treat the coronavirus. In this presentation, it seemed like the trial was so far going pretty well um, that there had been rapid recoveries in almost all of 100 severely ill patients. And so even though the trial hasn't reported data yet, investors got excited about the prospect of there being some kind of treatment for the disease, which would obviously help patients, but it could also lead to opening up of economies around the world. So Hannah, investors might have gotten excited, but what should we make of this report? So it's still really early days. For a start, this trial, um, this section of the trial, because it was the most severely ill patients, didn't have a control arm. So we don't know if they would have got better anyway. We also don't have the complete data. This wasn't published in a peer-reviewed journal. It was leaked in video footage. Gilead, the company behind the drug, said that anecdotal reports, while encouraging, do not have the statistical power necessary to determine the safety and efficacy, which is obviously what we want. Earlier this week, President Trump said he had total authority to reopen the U.S. economy amid the coronavirus pandemic. But following widespread criticism, he's now backing away from such a threat. At the White House yesterday, President Trump issued new guidelines that let state governors decide when to lift social distancing restrictions. We are not opening all at once, but one careful step at a time. And some states will be able to open up sooner than others. But the guidelines from the White House do recommend caution. They ask states to make sure there has been a downward trajectory of confirmed coronavirus cases over a two-week period. Or they recommend seeing a downward trend in positive tests. The president's plan also recommends implementing the return in phases. Even before the president took to the podium on Thursday night, states had been working out a game plan. Republican and Democratic governors across several Midwestern states are working together on how to reopen their economies without hurting other regions. The president has gone back and forth on when and how to reopen business, worried that the economic collapse would hurt his re-election chances in November. French President Emmanuel Macron has warned that the European Union is unlikely to survive as a, quote, political project if it fails to help stricken economies, such as Italy's, recover from the coronavirus pandemic. 
In an interview with the FT, Mr. Macron said the EU should finance member states according to their needs, an idea that Germany and the Netherlands haven't gotten on board with. Victor Mallet, our Paris bureau chief, spoke with Mr. Macron and told me about his conversation. Politique ou un projet de marché, uniquement. So, Victor, here Mr. Macron presents the coronavirus crisis as a, quote, moment of truth for the European Union. How did he frame this argument? Well, what he was really talking about was the need for financial support from the wealthier members of the EU for the poorer members of the EU or those with financial difficulties. And that basically means a fund that would be financed with joint debt by all the EU members to help countries like Italy, which have been really badly hit by the coronavirus pandemic, to recover economically in the months and years ahead. The Netherlands and Germany in particular are very reluctant to have any form of mutualized debt. So what did Mr. Macron suggest in order to overcome this disagreement? Did he see a solution? Well, he said he was in constant touch with Angela Merkel, the German chancellor, and with Mark Rutte, the Dutch prime minister, to try and bring them around. And he said, you know, he thought they were coming around a bit more to his point of view. And he also said, uh, you know, there is a sort of faint possibility of agreement on this in the sense that it doesn't have to be a fund financed by so-called corona bonds. There are other ways of doing this kind of massive financial transfer that the French and others say is necessary. For example, Macron was quite open to the idea of using the European budget. That's another sort of item of dispute among European Union members because a a lot of the so-called frugal members of the EU want to keep that joint budget very, very small or as small as possible. And other countries, including France, want to enlarge it and to have more common spending. That doesn't solve the problem. But he was basically saying he doesn't really care what form this solidarity takes as long as it exists to help Italy. And and to that point about Italy, what was President Macron's biggest fear if the countries didn't pull together in this time of crisis? Well, he said that if this solidarity was not forthcoming from the wealthier members of the EU, then Italians would turn to populist leaders who have criticized the EU. And in fact, that's already happening. There's already quite high level of resentment in Italy among people who say that the EU and the other members of the EU are not helping them out. And Macron's argument was that this form of anti-EU populism would become more pervasive across the European Union unless there was some solidarity. And he, he drew a very interesting example. He said, you know, after the First World War, France made Germany pay punitive reparations for having been involved in the First World War. And the result of that was populism and resentment in Germany, which gave rise to the coming to the power of Hitler and the Nazis and the disaster of the Second World War. Whereas after the Second World War, the Allies, obviously led by the United States, enacted the Marshall Plan, which allowed a massive financing of the whole of Europe, including the losers in the war, to recover from economic disaster. And he said that was basically what you needed now, whether it was called helicopter money or anything else. The point was you needed a kind of Marshall Plan to lift Europe up from economic disaster. Gulf sovereign wealth funds have been seeking out opportunities to buy into companies whose value has dropped as a result of the coronavirus crisis. With hundreds of billions of dollars to invest, Saudi Arabia's public investment fund has been putting money into Carnival, the cruise ship company, energy companies, and an English football club. The funds are also seeking opportunities in sectors including healthcare technology, which they expect to have potential to bounce back or to grow fast in the aftermath of the crisis. Our Middle East editor, Andrew England, has more. 
Well, if you put them all together, they've got assets under management of about two and a half trillion. Some of these are estimates because we don't actually know the full size of the funds. They're pretty opaque. Which are the most active? In the last year, two years, Saudi Arabia's public investment fund has been going out across the globe, buying up assets and doing an incredible amount of development to massive mega projects at home, or at least unveiling massive plans for projects at home. And it's been the most active in recent weeks. We know that it's bought a stake of 8.2% in Carnival. It's also bought shares in oil companies, including Shell, Total, Repsol, Equinor and ENI. And then this week, it was the lead investor in a group that's agreed a deal to buy Newcastle, the English Premier League football club, in a deal worth about £300 million. So they really stand out. And then the other two, which we expect to be active and we're told will be very active in this period, is Qatar's Investment Authority, its sovereign wealth fund that's known for owning Harrods in London, the Shard building in London. And Qatari officials have told us you know, they will see this as an opportunity given the market volatility. They were particularly active in the 2008-2009 global crisis, bought stakes in Barclays, Credit Suisse, VW Porsche. The other one to watch out for is Mabadla Investment Company, which is Abu Dhabi's most active investment fund. It's cash rich at the moment. It's already got a very diverse portfolio across technology, healthcare, etc. And so again, we're told that they will be looking for opportunities in this market. Now, not all recent investments have been successful, right, Andrew? The Saudi Public Investment Fund has been a big investor in SoftBank's struggling vision fund, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think there are question marks over the strategies of the PIF. They would say, one, we're opportunistic, we're long-term, you know, shares go up as well as they go down. And there is perhaps another rationale if you think the public investment fund, the PIF, is developing massive tourism projects in Saudi Arabia, particularly the Red Sea project. So you can imagine in future, perhaps, that they think if we have a stake in Carnival, you know, we'll ensure that cruise ships come and visit our resorts. And this is something that Mabadla, you know, Mabadla had a developmental arm to it in its earlier incarnation. And what you saw is that they would invest in companies one, for looking at a financial return, but also saying, right, if we're going to have a stake in you, we want you to come back to Abu Dhabi, you know, set up a plant or some sort of facility and help develop the economy and create local jobs. Now, Andrew, I'm wondering, are there people in the region questioning the wisdom of these high-profile investments? I mean, oil revenues are much less than expected, and government spending in the region is likely to come under pressure. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the situation today is very different to the global financial crisis in 2008-2009 when we saw the sovereign wealth funds being very active. You know, the region wasn't as badly impacted as other parts of the world, uh, with the exception of Dubai. This time, their economies are in lockdown and they've got the double blow of the collapse in oil prices. And so I think, you know, some people will be questioning this, absolutely. You can read more on all of these stories at FT.com. This has been your FT News Briefing. Make sure you check back next week for the latest business news. The FT News Briefing is produced by Amy Keene, Fiona Simon, and me, Mark Filipino. Our editor is Amelia Mahasek. We also had help from Gavin Coleman and Michael Bruning. Hi, this is Matt and Sean from Two Black Guys with good credit from a local business to a global corporation. 
Partnering with Bank of America gives your operation access to exclusive digital tools, award-winning insights, and business solutions so powerful, you'll make every move matter. Visit bankofamerica.com slash banking for business to learn more. What would you like the power to do? Bank of America, N.A., copyright 2024. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app. You can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with Code Program for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code Program.